and my number one greatest fear of all time when I walk on a stage is that I would trip, and I didn't do that. So we're off to a really, really good start. So I'm excited about that. Um, it's nice to meet all you guys. My name is Isaac, like Christian was saying. I was here last week. You guys have a great campus and a great thing going here. Um, we're all one big movement, and there's a ton of Grace Church campuses, and we're always trying to put more. Uh, we have a vision called 30 and 30, which means that we felt that God has put on our hearts and our minds to plant 30 Grace Church campuses in 30 years. And that's not to be the biggest, baddest church that ever existed, but that's to move the gospel faster and farther. Um, and so I helm from the Bath campus, which is about 30 minutes from here, um, and it's a great time over there. Um, but coming over here, I was really excited because I knew that it was going to be like gospel teaching, and, and Christian's an awesome guy, and you can hide like anything in his beard. And I knew that would be cool and different coming over here, um, but I just... One of the, my favorite things going from campus to campus is seeing Jesus and the gospel played out in different ways uh, because the gospel and Jesus are not copy and paste and the church is not copy and paste. And so to see the variations and the differences between everything is just really cool. So I'm really excited. Um, so like I said, my name is Isaac. Uh, I'm an intern at the Bath Campus. I work on sports ministry, uh, which is really fun. And so we use sports to bring people to Jesus. And uh, we do that with kids. We do that with uh, uh, parents and older people and everywhere in between. So I have a really cool opportunity to work with tons of people like that. Um, just a little bit about me. Um, so I do that. I most recently got engaged, um, which I'm very excited about. Yes, you may do this very subtly. Or you can, yeah, that's all right. You know. Um, uh, I just came back from junior camp, which a few of you guys were at and a few of your kids were at, and so that was a really cool opportunity. Um, and at junior camp, we were really excited because 35, over 35 kids accepted Christ for the first time. Um, yes, that is what we clap for. That is gas right there. And so I say all these things because you can't get mad at someone who just got engaged and tells you that kids just accepted Christ. That's what I've learned. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited to be here, and uh, thank you for, for letting me come out here. So you guys have been, we've been going over our values, um, and we have eight values of Grace Church that help us stay on mission and stay focused and stuff like that. Um, and so Christian and others have been going through all that kind of stuff, and I get the opportunity to talk about uh, one of my favorite values, um, which we'll get to in a little bit. But some things that we've been saying is that these are uh, principles, not preferences. So we didn't make these up. We didn't bring them out of the air. We just didn't find things that rhymed and kind of sounded good. Uh, we would look at the Bible. We would look at Jesus. We would look at the apostles and the scriptures, and we would say, this is how they did it. This is how they said to do it. We're just going to take that. We're going to reword it so that it makes sense to us, but we're not going to change anything, um, and we're going to apply that to our church today because the church of Jesus Christ in the Bible um, and in uh, what the disciples did is the same church that we have going on today. Uh, so that's where these principles are coming from. We're not just making them up out of thin air. Um, and the other thing uh, that is important is that as a believer, if you have put your faith and life under Jesus Christ, these are, again, these are not preferences. Um, these are not really things that you get to pick and choose what we want to do with. Uh, these are things that Jesus Christ has said that if you are going to sign up for Jesus, if you're going to agree to the terms and conditions of Christianity and Jesus Christ, that these are the things that we're going to do. Um, and we're going to do them not to, be, to grow, not to be cool, not to do anything like that, but to bring other people to me, to Jesus, to, uh, to save people from hell. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do with this. And so if you're an unbeliever and, and you don't know what Jesus is or you're confused or you have questions of what that's like or you're just kind of here listening, thank you so much for being here, honestly. Uh, this is a, a really great time and a really great place to be. Uh, but kind of 
sit back and just take this in right now. Um, so this is not something that you should feel like, oh, I have to, I have to do this if Jesus is really going to make sense. Right now, this is, this is for the believers. This is Jesus is going to look at people who say and subscribe to Jesus Christ and say, this is what we're going to do. And if that's not you, and if you're questioning, or if you're listening, or you're confused or anything, that's great. Thank you for being here. So just, just uh, sit back and, and listen. Um, so when we accept Jesus Christ, when we pray a prayer, uh, when, we, when we repent of our sins and we ask Jesus Christ to forgive us, a few things happen to us instantaneously uh, in a spiritual form. One thing that happens is that the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and the Bible says that he dwells in you or he lives inside of you, um, and, he, and he convicts you and pushes you and pulls you to, to be more and act more like Jesus. Um, another thing that happens is your spot in heaven is reserved so that um, when our time on earth is done that we'll, we'll know where we're going. Um, another thing that happens is the Bible says that you are born again or you're made new. Um, the old is gone and the new has come. You're a new person. Uh, your past, you don't have to keep worrying about that all the time and keep freaking, about, uh, freaking out about that all the time. You're a new person now. You're made new with Jesus Christ. Um, and another thing that, ha- and, you're, and you're a whole new person. Um, and then one thing that starts happening is when you accept Jesus Christ, you start to levitate in the air and fire appears all around you. No, I'm just kidding. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. Um, but a deep inward fundamental change takes place when you accept Jesus Christ. A deep inward fundamental change. Your life and your soul and your actions and your thinking starts to change. Um, they start to change to be more like Christ. And that's what happens when we accept Jesus Christ. And it's not instant. The Bible calls these fruits. They would call them fruits of the Spirit. Uh, so when you accept Christ, these, these different things start to happen to you. You're gentle, you're kind, you have patience. They call them fruits. Um, and if you know anything about fruit or, or agriculture or anything like that, it doesn't happen like that. Um, that would be really cool, but it doesn't. It takes time. You have to nurture it. You have to feed it. You have to pray, read your Bible, talk to Jesus, and that fruit begins to grow and eventually is good for harvest. So that's, what, that's the stuff that happens when we accept Jesus Christ um, on a personal level. All that stuff happens on a personal level. But there's also another level of our relationship with Jesus Christ that maybe we don't think about all the time. Um, there's a personal level with Jesus that, that all those things that I was just talking about. And then there's also what, what I'm going to be calling a corporate relationship with Jesus. Uh, you not only love Jesus in a personal way, in your own home, um, a one-on-one, he's your best friend type of thing. Now you're also a part of the church instantaneously. And the church is what the Bible says, all believers of all time, all over the place. So not a building necessarily, not a building, but the people of Jesus Christ, that's the church. Um, and so there's, there's followers of Jesus Christ in, in Mexico, um, in Brazil, in Canada, and right here, and we're all a part of one church, the church of Jesus Christ. And so when you accept Jesus Christ, those personal changes happen, and those corporate changes happen. So the Bible um, confronts and convicts you and comforts you um, and helps you with all these things, and and, and defines and directs you, the Bible will do the same thing for the church. And it's going to define and direct the church and comfort the church. And so when we accept Jesus Christ, on a personal level we change, and on a corporate level we change. And the me that we're always thinking about, the me becomes we. We no longer just think of ourselves anymore. We no longer just think of how can I grow, how can I be a better person, how can I uh, not smoke, drink, chew, or date girls who do, or do anything like that. How can I start to become a part of the church? How can the me become we? Because we don't think about ourselves anymore. Um, Many of you are parents, many of you are married. You would know this better than most of us. You're no longer thinking about yourself all the time. In fact, you're actually rarely thinking about yourself all the time. You're thinking about the person next to you, your child, your husband, your wife, and that me becomes a Christianity is a team sport. You can't do it alone. 
Um, and you actually, we need one another in many different ways. There's actually over 50 commandments in the Bible um, that would have this phrase, one another, in them. Love one another, mourn with one another, rejoice with one another. These commandments that are given to us in the Bible are things that we can only do with fellow believers. So you actually can't fully love and honor God unless you are sharing your life with other people and allowing them to share their lives with you. That me becomes a we. We now are in a community where we have this, the Bible calls it fellowship, this deep friendship that's rooted in something bigger than ourselves. Um, I played sports in high school, um, and, and I still like to play pickup games and stuff like that, and, and all my siblings play sports, and my friends play sports, and there's a different relationship that you have with your teammates than your classmates. If you just have a class with someone or you're just working with someone, you have a relationship and it's a good relationship. But on a team, when you're, when you're part of a team, you have a common goal. The goal is to, to win this championship, to, to do this thing, uh, to whatever it is. And you end up having this different camaraderie because no matter what happens with your personal one-on-one relationship, there is still the bigger goal at hand. The same thing is happening with Christianity. We are friends with each other, we fellowship with one each other, and we love each other. But no matter what happens in our personal relationships, we're able to put aside things that don't necessarily matter. We're able to move past things that don't necessarily matter because there's a greater goal at hand, the goal of Jesus Christ. So Christianity is a team sport. Um, and, I, and I saw this evidently uh, when I was at junior camp. Um, and, and at junior camp, you can't like, do anything by yourself, really. Um, all the, the bands and the families and, that have all the kids, there's like five counselors, and it's like one counselor per like a thousand kids, it feels like. And so they're like running around, and they're communicating with each other, and they're working with each other, and they're doing the best that they can that the kids can be safe, have a good time, and to get to know Jesus Christ. Um, over at the Bath Campus, like I said, and, and like Christian talked about a little bit last week, um, one of the things that, we, that I get to be a part of is what we call Game Day, which is our Children's Basketball and Cheerleading League. So K through 5th, uh, kids in the greater Akron area, they come to our campus. Uh, we have a basketball court. They, they play basketball. They get these sweet jerseys. They get all this cool stuff. Uh, but every night, we tell them about Jesus Christ. And every Saturday, that's when they play, we tell them about Jesus Christ. And we're, we're unapolog- unapologetically telling them about Jesus Christ every single time. And about 700 kids come through the program every single year. And it takes about 250 volunteers to get the thing going. Um, and so... I, rem- I just remember hearing horror stories from my, my boss, Donnie, um, and my other uh, coworker Ken. It used to be just them, and they were running around, and they were setting up lights, and they were popping all the popcorn and getting all the water and welcoming everybody, and it was just them, and it was such a struggle. And now they get to the fruit of their labor and the blessing of Jesus Christ. They get to look back and see what game day has become. But game day doesn't get done. Junior camp doesn't get done. Church doesn't get done if it's just one person. Because it wasn't supposed to be. Because Christianity is a team sport. So now, uh, when we accept Christ, we're, again, we're thinking, we, not me. Um, and so, when we're thinking that, a principle that is close to me, and I get the privilege of telling you guys and going over this with all you wonderful people, um, is the principle at Grace Church that we have, and we call it, we do hard things. At Grace Church, we do hard things. And we have that written down, and we have it defined as, uh, when given two options, we will choose the one that no one else wants to tackle. We will intentionally go where hope is hard to find. So let's say, for instance, uh, the culture is moving this way. Um, and the culture is moving this way, and the church is trying to stay here. And a lot of churches, in order to stay up with the culture and keep people coming through the doors, and, and a lot of it is good-hearted and just trying to tell people about Jesus, they compromise the truth of the Bible in these certain ways. Well, Grace Church is going to stay over here and say, we're not going to compromise the Bible. 
if it hurts our, our attendance, if it hurts what people think about us, that doesn't really matter to us because we're staying true to what the Bible says. We're not going to compromise in this way. When everyone is leaving one part of the world because it becomes too dangerous or because it's, there's sickness there or because it's hard to get into and it's hard to get out of, Grace Church is going to look and say, well, we're going to go there. Not because we're cooler and badder and better than you, but because someone's got to go there. Some these people still need Jesus. And if we look and see a need that no one's doing it, we're going to be the ones that do that. Um, everybody is, is going this way and talking to these people because they're easier to reach and, and they're ready for the gospel and they're ready for Jesus and everyone's going over here. And that's great. and That's fine. And, and we're not, Grace Church and, and me is not saying every other church has got it wrong except for us. We're just looking over here and saying, that's great. You guys got it covered. We're going to go over here. These people, they still need Jesus. The hardest, the, the least common person that you will find in a church is a 24-year-old male by statistics. And so Grace Church's target audience is a 24-year-old male because we know that that's the least common person you're going to find in the church. That's the hardest person that you're going to find in the church. So we're going to do everything we can to get that person into a church, but we're not going to compromise truth. We're not going to do any of those things. We're just going to do hard things. I went on a mission trip some time ago, um, and we got to go to Tiacapan, Mexico. Um, and it was really cool there, and it was awesome there. And, and we helped build houses, and we helped uh, with some widows, um, and we helped with some other things. And I was talking to one of the translators one time, and I was like, why have we never come to Tiacapan before? We usually go to another city called Mazatlan. And we're like, why have we never gone to Tiacapan before? Um, and the translator was talking, and he was like, did you know that Tiacapan has a nickname? And I was like, no, what's the nickname? And, and, the, and then he tells me that uh, the nickname that Tiakapon has is the place where God dies. <laughs> it's impossible to get anything going there, is what they're telling me. All the churches fail, the pastors leave, all this stuff. And now we get to look back, and they have a thriving church smack dab in the middle of where God goes to die. If that's not a hard thing, I don't know what is a hard thing. But that wouldn't have happened if we didn't decide that we're going to go this place that, that no one else wants to go to. And so this is a value because it, we needed to anchor it in to the DNA of Grace Church and to the DNA of all of us because we recognize in the scriptures and in churches and in the culture and on a personal level that each and every one of us has a tendency. We all have a natural bent, a tendency. And this tendency is to interact with God based on what he can do for me instead of what I can do for him. All, all of our tendencies is to interact with God based on what he can do for me instead of what I can do for him. And it's not just us or me. It's, it's everyone. So it's, it's all of you and it's me and it's that church and it's this church and these, these people and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's just our natural leaning. Um, and I'm not saying that this is a sin at all. It's just our natural bent. So if you don't believe me, if you're like, man, this, this young guy just came up on the stage and now he's telling me about churches in Mexico and tendencies and I don't believe him for a second. Okay, all right, all right. Well, let me prove it to you. Think about the last month of your prayer life. Just the last month of your prayer life. What do those prayers look like? Those prayers usually look like, God, help me with this. I was sitting over there in this corner, and when I get really antsy, my leg starts to like, go like this. And, and, and one time in JV basketball, I, had, I got fouled, I had a free throw, and I'm doing this. And I just went like that. I totally missed it. It was awesome. Uh, but, but so I was over there, and I was praying, and because I was nervous, and I was praying, I was like, God, calm me. God, give me peace. Uh, and I was doing like some breathing exercises and all this kind of stuff, and I'm just praying that God would calm me, give me peace, and that uh, the words that I would say would be his, not mine. And, and I'm just praying and praying. Our prayer life, think about your prayer life for the last month. Most of our prayer 
is going to be, God, help me with this. God, give me health. God, help me get this loan. God, make the kids go to bed, please. God, make my hair grow back. God, give me a a good wife. Give me that girl. Uh, I've been praying for my soon-to-be wife for a long time because prayer is the only way that that was going to happen. And so I've been doing that for a while. And so it's just our normal prayer. And again, it's not a sin. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just our natural bent. Our personal tendencies, however, spill over into how I interact with the church. That's why this is cemented as a value. Because we need to think of we, not me. And so our personal tendencies, our tendencies to pray for myself, pray for this health, pray for this thing, spill over into our corporate tendencies, which is the church. And so that's why you don't hear your typical prayer is not, God, if you receive more glory by me failing, let me fail. You don't hear that one a lot. You don't hear, God, if your gospel would be amplified by me being sick, let me have the faith to bear sickness. God, let me go down the hard road so that others don't. You just don't hear that one a lot. But our personal tendencies spill over into how I interact with the church because we're no longer me, we're thinking of we. But if a whole bunch of me's are thinking this way, then the we starts to think this way. So we have to be careful of this. We just have to be careful of it. Um, And so... It's not a sin. Again, it's not a sin. It's just a tendency. It's just our natural leaning. Um, and so this is a core value because if you, don't inter- if you don't counteract the tendency, it crosses over into sin. If you're not active against fighting against it, eventually it's going to get to a place of sin. It's going to get to a place where uh, we start to pray for prosperity and for blessing and we feel that we deserve these things, and we feel that we deserve this, this money, or we deserve this car, or we deserve this thing, or this girl, or, or, or this whatever. Fill in your blank. That's when we start to cross over in the sin. And we stop praying dangerous prayers. We stop praying things like, God, give me faith to bear sickness if it means your gospel will be amplified. If you look at the Bible and you look at the apostles, they would pray stuff like this all the time. Uh, Paul, or the apostle Paul, was always almost getting killed always almost getting killed. Uh, And he was in prison, and he was shipwrecked, and he was bitten by snakes, and like all this kind of stuff. He's always almost getting killed. And he's always praying, God, deliver me. That's his prayer. God, deliver me. Help me be safe. And it's not a bad prayer. It's nothing wrong at all. In fact, Jesus says that we should go boldly into the throne room of God. We should boldly ask God for things, because we signed up for, for Christianity. We signed up for Jesus. Jesus loves you. And we, we should be able to talk to him and go to him. He's our father. We should be able to go to him and, and talk to him. My dad is actually the head pastor of the Bath Campus. Um, and so I get to talk to that guy. I love that guy, Big Jeff. That's what we call him. He's a good guy. Um, and so uh, me and Big Jeff, we have a good relationship and we work in the same offices. Um, and so if, if you want to talk to Big Jeff, he's a busy guy, right? Because he's, he's a pastor. Um, and so he has like three secretaries. Um, they're like doing his schedule and like doing these things and, and all this kind of stuff. And if you want to have a meeting with Big Jeff, you got to like schedule it out months in advance, right? You just got to get this like little sliver of time where he's just like not going to eat or go to the bathroom that day and then you can talk to him. And so you got to schedule it out months in advance to get this sliver of time. Well, me and my brother work there uh, too. We just walk straight in. We're like, what's up, Jeff? And we just walk boldly into the office of Jeff. Boldly into the throne room of God. He's your father. Jesus says, cast your burdens on me for he cares for you. It's not a sin. It's just a tendency. This is something that we see in our everyday lives. Um, We see it in the church today, and this is something that was spotted by the leaders in the Bible. This is not a new thing that the churches these days would lean into 
blessing and prosperity and health and wealth and things that started off fine, started off as a tendency and got too far. Um, The Apostle Paul is talking to his protege or his apprentice, Timothy, um, and he says to him in 2 Timothy 4, he says, For a time is coming, Timothy, when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Paul is saying to Timothy, Tim, we got to check our tendency because if we don't check the tendency, the, everyone's going to go to the churches that they fully agree with already. Everyone's going to go to where the friends are going and where it's popular, and they're going to go to a church that's telling them what they already want to hear, that's already agreeing with them. Uh, Paul is saying, Tim, uh, you see these, these big televangelists, I guess they didn't have TVs back then, or big papyrus evangelists, whatever they did. You see these big guys, right? They're everywhere. They got the TV shows. They're, they're in a football stadium preaching. You see these guys and, and, and um, how they get so big. How they get so big. They say things that people want to hear, that people agree with. And that's all they say. There's nothing wrong with, with that necessarily, but if that's all that we say, and, if, and if we don't just get up here and say controversial things just to stir up things. We get up here and say the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's controversial enough in itself. And so how do these, how do these things get that big? Well, that's what they were doing. The culture drifts. The church should not. It doesn't matter what's legal, technically speaking. It matters what's biblically, gospel speaking. Paul says, Timothy, when you don't move, when you are steadfast in the mission and the vision of Jesus Christ, you're going to pay for that. Because it's not easy to go against the grain in the culture. It it never has been, never will be. Um, I played lacrosse in high school. Um, I loved it. It was a great time. I I started off doing it just to make some friends, and I I had a good time, and I ended up being pretty good and all this kind of stuff. And and my my younger sibling uh, plays lacrosse. My, My younger brother and my younger sister, they play lacrosse. And so I go to their games a lot. And so I go to their games, um, and I see parents of old teammates of mine, or maybe I even see, like, old teammates of mine because their siblings are playing and stuff like that. And we get to talking, we get to talking. They're like, hey, man, like, like, what are you up to? What are you doing? And I tell them, I was like, oh, you know, just making lots of money as an intern at a church, studying ministry. You know what I'm doing. And they're like, well, I, I thought you, I, I just had this conversation with, with one of my friends. And he said, he said, I thought you had some scholarships to play across. I'm like, yeah, I had, I had some scholarships. It's like, well, why didn't you, why didn't you do that? Well, I was like, oh, you know, I wanted to make lots of money and uh, have lots of time. And so I decided to do this thing. And you should see the look on people's faces when I tell them that I go to Grace College at Grace Church and my major is BS, Biblical Studies, and I have a teacher named Dr. College. Uh, that's the real thing. They think I'm just making this stuff up. I'm like, no, dude, fully accredited. Chase bank account statement says so. You should see the look on their face. Because who, who does that stuff? Who throws away worldly things and possessions and blessings? Followers of Christ do that. Jesus had nothing. Nothing. He had a robe on his back, sandals on his feet, and that's about it. And at the end of his life, he didn't even have those. He was just on a cross. The disciples had nothing. They would just stay in people's houses. Whoever would just let them stay. They gave up everything. Jesus said, give up everything, come follow me. And a few of them were like, all right, (laughs) we're going to do that. And so many more were like, no, we're not going to do that. But when given two options, we do hard things. We don't compromise on the truth where others might. 
We don't, uh, getting along with people is less important to us than telling them the truth of Jesus Christ. We go to places where their hope is hard to proclaim. Paul says to Timothy, Tim, when you tell the truth, when you preach the gospel, with gentleness and respect, of course, people are going to hear what they want to hear and they're going to choose the side. So keep your head and be steadfast. And this idea today in our church is especially foreign the past 30, 40 years because we've been taught that your life, that what Jesus does to your life is he makes it better and he makes it easier and he fixes your problems. He, he, he does everything that he needs you to do. He's like an HGTV show. Like he, he just fixes everything. He's amazing. It, and that's true. Jesus does fix your problems. He, get, he gives me purpose. He gives me definition. He gives me meaning. Uh, he gives me clarity. He gives me peace. He gives me comfort. But when did we say that following Christ was going to make your life easy? If Jesus could, could look at these people, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, I agree with all that stuff. When did I say it'd be easy? I actually never said that. I actually said the exact opposite. I actually said that you would be persecuted because of me. Jesus, uh, <laughs> Jesus does bring all these things, but it's been elevated to a place of prosperity and blessing and health and wealth and it makes your hair grow back. So when troubles hit, or I have to deny myself, or I have to work hard, my thinking is now Jesus is not here because it's harder. Because if Jesus was here, it would be easier. That's what we've been trained. That's our new thinking. And this is just not true. Peter is talking to the early church. The apostle Peter, a follower of Christ, gave up everything. He's following Jesus. He's talking to the early church in 1 Peter 4. And he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Peter is looking at the church, and this church is going through stuff, right? People are, are persecuting them. Uh, Rome back then, uh, Rome was in charge of everything, and if they had a problem, their usual solution is kill it or kill them. And so when they had a problem, they're like, yeah, just, just kill it. Um, and so like that was their, their normal technique. And so the church is under persecution, and, and people are disagreeing, and there's strife in the church, and there's all this stuff. And Peter's writing to him, and he's like, guys, guys, why are you surprised right now? Like, what did you think was the deal? You thought you were going around telling everyone that the way that they're living their life is not the way that they should live their life and going around telling everyone that Caesar is not the real emperor and that all their gods are fake and there's only one true God and you should give up everything and go follow him? You think everyone's just going to be super okay with that? No. In fact, very few people are okay with that. And so Peter is saying, why are we surprised? Don't be surprised when you have to do hard things. Don't be surprised when you're not in sync with the culture. Don't be surprised when you and your friends don't agree. You don't live like they do. You're not like them. Your mind is set on things above. You think differently. You act differently. You are different. Not because you're a jerk or not because you have different ideas or not because you're rude or not because you disagree politically. Because your life and direction are under something else. They define their own life. They do their own thing. Jesus has got you. So don't be surprised. Peter goes on and he says, If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder or for stealing or for making trouble or or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Peter's saying don't suffer because you're an idiot. Don't suffer because you're a jerk. Don't suffer because you disagree politically. Suffer because you're a Christian. 
you love Jesus and you preach the gospel and you won't compromise. You got two options. We're going to pick the hard one. And the harder one is always not compromising the gospel. Always. And so Peter's saying, don't be surprised. We do hard things. It's what we do. When we sign up for Jesus, we have given a predetermined yes to Jesus-y things. When we sign up to Jesus, we have already decided that no matter what's going to happen, I'm going to pick the Jesus side. I'm going to pick the Jesus side. And usually the Jesus side is much harder than the other side. And so Peter's saying, don't be surprised by this. You live a countercultural life. If you're persecuted, it's not because you're a jerk or, or you're a meddler, the Bible says. You're not on the street corner with a bullhorn. You're not all over Facebook doing these things that, that really aren't even affecting anything in the first place. It's not because of any of that. It's because you won't bend or compromise the gospel. You won't give up Jesus. You won't get away from it. And Peter's saying, don't be surprised. This is normal. This is what is supposed to be happening. So don't be surprised by it. The Bible says hard times are going to come, and it's how it's supposed to be for the follower of Christ. And I'm not saying you have to go live in Chad, Africa, in a hut with like a cup of water to last you a week. That's not what I'm saying. If you want to do that, that's great. You can just get more water and bring it to you. You don't have to stick to the one cup, but if you want to do that, that's fine. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when you follow Jesus, there's going to be consequences because not everyone follows Jesus. It's countercultural. It goes like everyone else is going this way and you're going this way. It's just what is going to happen. And when two things butt up against each other, there's going to be friction. There's going to be some kind of conflict. And so Peter and Paul and Jesus says, but there's a great reward that God wants to give you. If you go after God, there's a reward for you. Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven. That's what he says. When you do these, these Jesus-y things, these gospel things, you lay up these treasures in heaven. And so your reward won't degrade. It's an eternal reward. The eternal reward will put a price tag on doing hard things. It'll put them in their proper place because you won't even care because of the magnitude of what God has to give you. And this is hard for us to compromise. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians, he's helping us up and he says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the, things we, for the things we see now will soon be gone, and the things that we cannot see will last forever. Some reward for, for following Christ and living after him comes on this side of heaven. A, a reward for me was being at junior camp and getting to see a great reward, a great reward for me. As I was a junior camp camper, I was a junior camp counselor, and now I was a junior camp, what we call support staff, just there to help. And I got to look out at a bunch of counselors who were my campers at one point. And I got to watch those campers turn into counselors, and those counselors lead other kids to Christ. That was a great reward for me. And I'm not saying because they were my campers, they led all the kids to Christ. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying it was amazing to watch the cycle of fellowship in the church play out. That when you invest in the someone, they invest in the someone, and they invest in the someone, and they invest in the someone. And before you know it, 35 kids have accepted Christ. That was a great reward that I got to see. Most rewards that, that you do for doing hard things, and, and you follow Christ, and you live after him, most of those rewards you will not see on this side of heaven. You will not. But imagine this. Imagine you're in heaven, right? And you're hanging out with Jesus. And he's telling you that your, your mind's about to be blown because the Browns are about to win seven championships in a row. It's going to be insane, right? And, <laughs> bring back Baker. I love him. 
And he's telling you all these things, right? He's telling you this. And he's telling you, uh, and you're just talking, you're having a good time. And, and someone comes up, um, and they say, hey. They say, hey, do you remember me? And you, you look at them, and you say, well, not really. No, I don't remember you. Um, I don't know how memory works in heaven, but I don't remember you. I, I don't really. Do you recognize me? No, not really. Who are you? So do you remember when you did game day, and you gave up every Wednesday night and every Saturday, and on Saturdays you were there for 12 hours, and, and you were reffing, and you were giving out popcorn, and you were talking to the kids, and you were talking to the parents, and you set up the giant inflatable tunnel for the kids to run out of? Do you remember that? Like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Uh, do you remember when you coached that one year, and there was a kid on your team that couldn't make a basket because he was physically incapable of getting the ball that high? Yeah, I, yeah, I remember that kid. Uh, do you remember that kid, how insecure that kid was? And so he was really rambunctious during practice, and he would run around, and he was a hooligan, and he needed water every 10 seconds, and he was doing his thing, and he was distracting the other kids. Yeah, yeah, I remember that kid. Uh, do you remember that kid when you went to devotions with him, and you had to sit right next to him and hold his hand because he wouldn't sit still and he wouldn't listen? Yeah, I remember that kid. Do you remember that kid, how he went through all those years of game day? He went through six years of game day, and he went through six years of summer camps and six years of junior camps, and he was in Power Kids every weekend, and he was getting taken care of by the, by the church and by the children's ministry? Yeah, I remember that kid. Do you remember that kid when he went off to high school, and when he went to high school, he didn't really care about Jesus too much, but he had a framework in the back of his head, and so he went to high school, and he wanted to get, everyone was trying to suck him into doing, doing parties, drugs, or girls, and all that kind of stuff, uh, but he didn't do it just because he really remembered what he learned in all, this thing, in all those years of, of, of church and Jesus? Yeah, I remember that kid. You remember that kid when you messed up the one time uh, and he fell into those things and then he came to you and he, you explained to him the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Yeah, I remember that kid. You remember that kid when he graduated high school and he went to college and when he was at the college, the same thing kind of happened to him and he got sucked back in again and he didn't go to you this time, but he played soccer. So he went to the chaplain of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at that college and he talked to him and that chaplain explained to him the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, but also explained to him that we as Christians do not hang on to any sin. We extinguish that stuff and we need to move forward from it. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. You remember that kid when he graduated college and he met that girl. He met a really nice girl and they got married and they had a kid and they got a house and then they come to your church and they love Jesus. Yeah, I remember that kid. I'm that kid's grandkid. That kid broke a generation of fatherlessness and godlessness because he was invested into. That kid stopped a messy cycle that was started generations ago and it wasn't his fault that it got started but he's the one that put his foot down and stopped it. Uh, I'm that kid's grandkid. All I know are healthy marriages and Jesus' homes and the church because of that kid. And you don't know me and you never meet me, you never met me and you would have never recognized me but what you did impacted me in ways that you could never know. That's an example of an eternal reward. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying that, that this eternal reward so outweighs the earthly consequences and the pushback and the blowback and the friends that you lost and the people that walked away. That reward right there so outweighs that that it's incomparable. Paul doesn't even have the words to describe to you how incomparable this thing is. He's just trying. That's an example. Do you remember when you got that call that one time and you were on call and you were in your squad car or you were in the truck or whatever and you got that call and you said that the, that 
someone was stealing candy from a Circle K, and so you went down the Circle K, and you saw them stealing candy, and, and a few of them ran away, but you got the one kid, and you talked to the one kid, and you were just talking to him about how, how stealing is bad, and it's illegal, and you're going to wind up in jail, and that's going to mess you up, and all this stuff, but you kind of sensed something in this kid, and so you weren't a jerk. You just kind of loved him, but you loved him with the truth, and so you were talking to him about the truth, and he understood that, and he kind of got that, and for the first time in his life, he had a positive encounter with an authority figure, and so he went home, and he thought about that a little bit and eventually it just kind of went to the back of his mind and he went to high school and he went to college and, and he, he found a wife and he got married and that kid, I'm that kid's grandkid. I'm that kid's friend. I'm that kid's brother. That kid's life was changed because of one interaction and the interaction after interaction. Something that, that I get to do again with sports ministry is we do this thing called uh, sports day camps. It's a very creative name, I know. Um, and sports day camps are during the summer, and the kids will come and hang out at our church for a day, and we'll teach them about Jesus, and we'll teach them how to play a sport. It starts on Monday. I'm very excited. I've got this amount of sleep. I believe it's zero. Um, and I'm very excited. One thing I tell all our counselors when they come in, I say, guys, it's not about accept the kids accepting Christ all the time. And they're kind of like, wait, isn't that like the whole point? I'm like, yeah, yeah it is ultimately. But not every kid is going to come through here and accept Christ. But every kid's going to come through here and they're going to get one step closer to Jesus Christ. Every kid's going to come through here and they're going to move a step forward. And maybe that step is salvation. Maybe that step is baptism. Maybe that step is whatever. But they're going to get closer. And that's what we do. That's what you do. That's what we do. We get people closer to Jesus Christ. Any interaction that someone has with us, ideally in a perfect world, and I know we're broken and I'm the worst, but in a, in a good world, when we're following Christ, we get them closer through our interactions. But we always drift to what's easy. And none of this is natural. All of this is super hard. Because we do hard things. That's what we do. And so none of this is easy because we always drift into what's easy. And that's why we have to counteract this with a force to be reckoned with. Because our natural tendency is into easy things. And we do hard things. That's what we do. A follower of Christ, by virtue of who we are, we do hard things. We choose not to hide in the house, but to go and get to know our neighbor. We choose not to avoid our enemy, but to seek him out and love him. We got options, one easy, one hard, we choose hard. We choose to be generous with our money instead of indulging ourselves. We choose to not be passive when we see someone in need. We choose not to manage our sin, but to eradicate it altogether. We are a people of consequence, not comfort. We are a people of principle, not preference. And you want to know what's, what's really hard to do? What's really hard is, is to watch your friends die. What's really hard is to have your son stab you in the back and betray you. What's really hard is to have your daughter nail you to a tree. Your friends cower when you need them the most. To give up your power and authority for people who are mocking you. To give up your child to die in the hands of man. It's hard to go through all of that knowing that at any time you could have ended it with a snap. And you would have been right for doing so. Because you never did anything wrong. You never sinned. You never messed up. And all you did was love these people and tell them the truth. And they killed you for it. That's what's hard to do. You know, what, you know what's hard to do? Calling your friends who have wronged you so deeply. Just texting them. Asking them what's up call on them. Ask if they want to hang out, even though they're so clearly in the wrong. 
What's hard to do is always being a loving mom, no matter what. That's hard to do. What's hard to do is thinking of others, loving the person that nobody else will. What's really, really hard to do is being a present father and engaging your children and your wife, no matter the day that you had at work. What's really hard to do is not leaving when you have every right to, to pray and read your Bible every day and get to know Jesus every day and to be in your biblical disciplines, reading your Bible, praying, talking to Jesus, even though you know that you might not feel something super spiritual and start levitating in the air. What's hard to do is breaking cycles of fatherlessness and godlessness. What's hard to do is giving up yourself for everyone else. Everyone else. What's hard to do is being a father. What's hard to do is being a mother. What's hard to do is not praying for God to bless you, but praying for God to invest you. My friends, don't live an easy life. Don't make your life about you. Push through the pain. Invite the pain. Pray God uses your life, not blesses it. Live a life of consequence because no one else will and the people of God need to. You want to live the American dream? Go for it. You want to to retire? Four-hour work week? You want to do all that kind of stuff? Go get a boat? That's cool. Boats are cool. Your life will not matter and you will sacrifice your soul in the process. We do hard things. When given two options, we will choose the one that no one else wants to tackle We will intentionally go where hope is hard to find. The people of God do hard things, big and small. We do hard things because when we accepted Christ, when we signed up to the terms and agreements of Jesus Christ, we decided then and there that when hard things are presented to us, we're going to run head on into them. Maybe we didn't really know what that looked like then. That's okay. It's a process. It's a process. We do hard things because no one else will. We do hard things because Jesus did the hardest thing for us. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for this, this is opportunity to be here. Um, new campus, new people, same gospel, same Jesus. Thank you for what you did for us on the cross. Thank you for what you're doing for us now and tomorrow and forevermore. Lord, I pray that we can have the strength to pray dangerous prayers prayers of investment of our life, of sacrificing our life, of giving up our comfort and our preference for our conviction and for you. Lord, I pray that everyone in here would, would just remember or maybe realize for the first time that you are the only thing that matters. That you give us purpose and meaning and definition and blessing, but you do all of that in ways that only you know will work for the best. That our life may not be easy here, but it's just a second compared to the reward and the eternity awaiting for us. Lord, I pray that we could keep that in perspective, that we could think of heavenly things now and forevermore.